Hello, this is Catherine. Welcome to Friendly Anarchism. I have a guest here with me today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Jane. I am a queer trans woman, and I am a former member of the Northwest Yearly Meeting, which is relevant to what I'll be talking about today. Yeah, so uh, what part of the Northwest Yearly Meeting, where'd you go? I went to Newburgh Friends Church. Uh, Newburgh, Oregon is kind of the center of the Northwest Yearly Meeting. Uh, George Fox University is a uh, evangelical Quaker college that's affiliated with Northwest Yearly Meeting, and it's where they hold their annual business meetings in late July every year. Mm-hmm. So you grew up, you grew up in the Quaker Church. I did. I was. I went to Newburgh Friends my entire life. Both my parents attended George Fox University. Um, attended Newburgh Friends the entire time they went there and settled down in Newburgh after they were done with college. Um. I I wasn't just raised in the church either. Uh, in middle school, they um, offer a, a like youth yearly meeting that goes on during the adults yearly meeting as well, where they basically like teach kids about how to conduct um, like Quaker business, like teaching them consensus and everything. And I uh, was involved with that from eleven until eighteen. Oh wow! Yeah, so you were in it. Yeah, I um, actually. In middle school and high school, I was um, consensed on to be an officer for the youth yearly meeting. Uh, they split it into like junior and senior high, and so I was like an officer in both of those at some point. I even uh, ended up like going on a trip to Russia as like part as part of the yearly meeting. Like it was kind of a cultural exchange. Like we were working with missionaries in Russia, and it was. Um, you know, we were supposed to just be kind of, like, meeting, uh, like, people and kind of just, like, sharing experiences of what it's to be like in America and, like, bringing back stories of what it's to be like in Russia. But really it was to, you know, like, get a foot in the door for the missionaries to try to evangelize these people. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't with another... It wasn't a trade with another Quaker church in Russia. It was... It was um, It was specifically with, uh, like, Northwest Yearly Meeting-affiliated missionaries. Northwest Yearly Meeting has missionaries in Russia, Africa, Southeast Asia, Central and South America. Yeah, most Quakers um, are actually evangelicals, right? Yeah. Um, uh, it's, I mean, I can, I can only speak to my experience in the Northwest, really, but I found that like a large major- majority of Quakers in the Northwest belong to an evangelical meeting. Um uh, which, which is, I don't know, the Evangelical Friends Church, like, looking back on it now, is just, like, the strangest thing to me. <laughs> uh, uh, I, and, like, I'll get into that more, but it's, uh, right now, actually, the Northwest Yearly Meeting is, like, going through, a kind of a schism, uh, through, um, issues of affirmation of, like, LGBTQ, uh, like, um, like, members and, mm-hmm. uh, pastors and whatnot, mm-hmm. and so, like, some of, like, some of the weirdness is just gonna become apparent, like, as I'm talking about it more. So there's, like, hidden weirdness, and now weirdness is kind of, like, bubbling up to the surface. Oh, yes, thing. yes, 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 very much so. So as far as, um, issues of, like, LGBTQ, uh, Quakers, um, the story goes all the way back to 1977. Uh, 
in it doesn't even like the story doesn't even start in Oregon. It starts in Florida, in Miami-Dade County. Uh, 1977, um, there was a gay rights ordinance passed in Miami-Dade. And there was a lot of um, conservative Christian backlash to that. Uh, the ordinance was repealed in June of 1977, the same year. But just a few weeks later, there was um, the Wichita, Wichita Conference of Friends in the Americas, which was a meeting of, like, delegations from all sorts of different um, yearly meetings from around the country coming together, uh, including me uh, members of what was then the Oregon Yearly Meeting, later renamed Northwest Yearly Meeting. Uh, they, the conference was kind of um, ambushed by a Philadelphia uh, queer uh, Quaker group, um, and the agenda kind of got taken over by that group. Um, it ended up becoming a huge media circus. Um, it was a it was members from the Oregon delegation who were kind of like a main, played a main role in like keeping the conference um, together in a somewhat orderly fashion at all. Uh, they ended up having to like talk about these issues at that conference and like. Up until then, the evangelical Quaker church at large had been very happy to just, like, let that be something that they didn't discuss. Um, and then in the Northwest Yearly Meeting, there was about five years of, like, just kind of, like, nothing going on with that. And then they, um, at the 90, at the 90, or the 82, uh, excuse me, the 1982, uh, Yearly Meeting, they, um, consensed on their faith and practice, which, um, stated that, uh, homosexuality was, um, similar to incest, bestiality, and, um, polygamy, um, and that is more or less where their official stance on the issue has stood ever since. It hasn't changed from N that? No. In uh, the 35 years since, really. Uh, and then... There was just about 30 years of, like, complete silence on the issue. Um, other controversies came up in the yearly meeting. Controversies over, like, uh, faith and practice um, standards around, like, immigration and whatnot. And, like, how, how do Quakers, like, put their practice of nonviolence and pacifism uh, into practice as far as, like... Um, refugees trying to flee violence in, um, Central and South America, mm -hmm. um, either physical or economic violence. Um, but then in, um, 2008, Reedwood Friends Church in Portland, Oregon started to, um, just within their congregation, um, draft their own, uh, faith and practices around, uh, LGBTQ uh, members in the church. Um, they ended up uh, splitting it into two different statements. One statement was specifically uh, just like affirming the, I guess, the rights of um, queer members of the church to just like be able to like be practicing members um, or like pastors. Um, and then also an affirmation that uh, 
God can work through anyone equally regardless of their gender, race, or sexual orientation. Uh, of course, this all comes with the caveat of, like, sexuality must be expressed solely within a monogamous um, marriage and any other uh, expression of sexuality falls outside of faith and practices. Uh, so in 2010, uh, Reed Wood addressed the Northwest Yearly Meeting leadership about this process that they had been going through. They delivered a minute about these two statements that they had made and the response they received from the Northwest Yearly Meeting was, um, essentially, we're not ready to have this conversation right now, and you're not the only ones we're having this conversation with. It seems like that's, I mean, it's, it was a, it's a good step forward, but still a little, it's, you know. It's being, playing into respectability politics. Yeah, yeah, it seems like that's, as far as a church that supposedly considers itself, well, do the Quaker evangelicals consider themselves liberal or not? Mm, not necessarily, no. Um there is a very recognized um, diversity in political opinion, especially since the Northwest Yearly Meeting encompasses um, Oregon, Washington, Idaho. It you've got churches from you know Portland and Seattle, but then you've also got churches from like from you know like rural Idaho, and mm -hmm. so there's like, and then even in some congregations, there's like a wide variety of like political opinions, and some people who are like very much on the progressive side of things, but then some very, like, you know, some people who would fit right in in a Southern Baptist church. Yeah. If I'm going to be straight up. Mm hmm So, th there's this kind of delusion that among Christian denominations, they are kind of the most progressive or whatever, but that's really just kind of this, uh, I don't know, this, like, back-padding thing that, like, just lets a whole bunch of privileged people, like, not think about the harm they do. Um, okay, so... So, yeah, um... I believe in 2015 was when the Northwest Yearly Meeting actually began to, like, have, um, public discussion about the possibility of changing faith and practice. And, um... There... Do you want to explain what faith and practice is real quick? Yeah, uh, it's basically, um, it's basically the statement of how the church puts, like, puts its belief into effect in, like, day-to-day -day life, like, basically standards of, like, morality and, like, standards of, like, living, mm -hmm. um, and... I mean, and it's it's both uh, standards for individuals, but also standards for the church. Um, in faith and practices, uh, it is stated that um, I mean, this is faith and practices in the Oregon yearly meeting dating back to the early 1900s or late 1800s, stating that um, men and women are equal in the church, and so so yeah, it's basically like the guidelines of, like, how a Quaker is supposed to be an act and how a Quaker, Quaker church is supposed to be an act. Mm -hmm. I have a faith in practice, but... I don't know. It's pretty different, I think. 
probably because I'm from a different type of meeting. I I imagine so. I don't know where it is. Faith, like the faith and practice of Christ-based um, Quaker meetings, are always a trip. Um. So yeah, but in in 2015, uh, revision of faith and practice was brought up at the general yearly meeting, um, but any sort of change was shot down, and, and that was to be completely expected. Yeah. Because um, the 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 yearly meeting would have had consent on changing it, and there was such like enormous resistance, like just like straight fifty fifty yeah. split whether wow. there was like support or not. And, um, the issue kind of got shoved back underground up until Reedwood was, um, removed from the Northwest Yearly Meeting. Is that what just happened? That, ha- no? that happened, I believe, 2015 or 2016, still fairly recently. So one, so they got removed from the meeting. Yeah, they, they were removed from Northwest wow. Yearly Meeting for, um, uh, not aligning with the faith and practice of the Northwest Yearly Meeting. Whoa. But this is where it gets really weird. Okay. At the same time as um, the controversy with Reedwood is going on, um, this, the very fact that um, affirmation of LGBTQ members in the church was happening bothered some of the conservative congregations. And so Hayden Lake Friends in Idaho, which had recently um, joined together with Anthem Church, which was an unaffiliate, which was a non-Quaker church in Idaho, in uh, Hayden Lake. They they um, around I believe in 2016 started a process of trying to split from the Northwest Yearly Meeting. Oh wow! Okay, so the meeting is like not pleasing anybody. <laughs> no, but the thing is. For 40 years now, Hayden Lake has had a policy of not recognizing women as pastors, which is flying in the face of faith and practices. Yeah. But they've never been disciplined. Right. In any sort of way. And not only have churches, pastors been disciplined for falling out of practice as far as like affirmation of of, um, LGBTQ members, individuals have also been disciplined by the yearly meeting. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Um, like, how it's, are you disciplined? It's, it's all pretty secretive. They, the process is not known to anyone, and the people involved in the process usually don't want to talk about it afterwards, because, like, it's, it can be fairly traumatic. Um, there was, there was a member from Newburgh Friends Church, like, my old church, who, um, under a lot of whispers, mysterious circumstances, had to leave our church, move to Eugene, start attending Eugene Friends Church. No one ever really said why. He, he never said why, but he was very clear in his um, displeasure with the church afterwards. Um, there's a lot of um, people in kind of like baby boomer, Gen X age range where... They've never married, never had any sort of, like, romantic relationships that anyone can remember. Um, everything, it's, it's like the really kind of old school suburbs, 
it's kind of known but not talked about. Mm. It's and like I can't even say anything for certain. Like there is a couple people, like a couple adults from my congregation who I expect who or I suspect were um queer in some way. But I can't ask them. I can't talk to them about that. Right. The 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 man from my church who had to move to Eugene, who was very a very influential mentor to my brother. Like I have my suspicions about his sexuality, but like I will never know. Yeah, his. But Eugene's friend's church is an affirming church, right? They are. Um, so in the in the wake of Reedwood being removed from the Northwest Yearly Meeting, there are currently. 12 congregations um, who have delivered minutes of support for Reedwood Friends Church. Um, or No, that that's incorrect. There's, I believe, eight churches that have delivered minutes of support, and then some churches that are currently going through congregational sh- uh, splits, including um, my church. I want to talk about that a little bit more later, because that's a specific detail that's like, very, very fun and juicy. <laughs> you can't go into it now? Um. Because now I'm intrigued. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> I want to get back on Hayden Lake Friends okay, yeah. just a little bit more, and sure. then I'll go into it. But yeah, um, Hayden Lake, basically, they tried to split off because in the wake, like, after Reedwood got kicked out, people started asking why had Hayden Lake never been disciplined for their violation of faith and practices. Right, right. And, like, and, you know, like, questioning the double standard of, like, when, basically, like, when liberals violate the faith and practice, they are punished, but when it's, you know, conservatives, sexists, misogynists, whatever, violating it, that's totally fine. Um, Mm. And also, the... At the time, the pastor, Gar Michelson, was, like, fairly outspoken about his views on um, homosexuality. Uh, he, I have a feeling they were not good. No, he, um, I believe he uh, was either removed or stepped out of as pastor when Anthem and Hayden Lake um, merged. Uh, but yeah, so Hayden Lake decided that they basically, like, weren't, didn't identify, like, as a Quaker congregation anymore, wanted to split off from the Northwest Yearly Meeting. And this is where it starts to get really interesting, because in the bylaws of the Northwest Yearly Meeting, all church property real belongs to the Northwest Yearly Meeting. Hmm. So basically they wanted Hayden Lake to buy all property that was deeded to them back from the Northwest Yearly Meeting... So what Hayden Lake did was change the name of their church to so now that all properties of Anthem and Hayden Lake Friends Church are under Anthem Church. They're all deeded to Anthem Church now. Anthem Church is in no way affiliated with the Northwest Yearly Meeting. And they basically did that to try to say that the Northwest Yearly Meeting has no legal claim on any of their deeded properties anymore since it's not deeded to Hayden Lake Friends Church and Hayden Lake Friends Church is no longer even uh, a legal entity. What? But Northwest Yearly Meeting was still like, okay, you gotta pay us. We're gonna be really nice to you because Hayden Lake Friends Church, all of their properties and assets are valued at over a million dollars. Oh. But since they have that much money... um. When 
when Northwest Yearly Meeting counter offered, um, so basically Northwest Yearly Meeting wanted like 10% of the valued assets of Hayden Lake as a buyout for leaving okay. and continued use of the Hayden Lakes uh, recreation area. It's like a retreat center that the Northwest Yearly Me- Meeting uses for various things. Uh, the Northwest Yearly Meeting specifically said they wanted that money to be able to like plant new churches in the area since they were like losing like a fairly big church in the area. Hayden Lake countered with an offer to use 10% of their um, valuation to plant to help plant churches for the Northwest Yearly Meeting themselves. The Northwest Yearly Meeting... That they're leaving and they don't like. Yes, exactly. Northwest Yearly Meeting did not like that offer at all, countered with 7%, which was $150,000. That seems low. Very. And um, Hayden Lake countered with a big old middle finger, basically um, taking off all former offers of a deal and basically, like threatening for you know like basically saying sue us drama and they know that the North Harris yearly meeting doesn't want to do that the, de- the decision to like push Reedwood out of the North Harris yearly meeting it didn't happen at a business meeting at all it happened at a re- it happened at a cabin in the woods with the leadership and the leadership only and then they brought that to the mid-year yearly meeting, which has, like, a fraction of the attendance of the summer meeting. When I was in the um, senior high, um, when I was one of the senior high, like, meeting officers, one of the things we would talk about in our meetings was specifically how to manage kids who were disruptions in the meeting. Like, what kind of disruptions? Like, Um, just, like... Either just, like constantly offering voice of dissension and like not willing to compromise at all mm-hmm. or um even just like being just generally like disruptive but like there is very much a notion that you know everyone's voice is like equally heard and desired until um they get to be too much of a problem hmm. and then there's no like who gets to decide who's a problem exactly um, it's, it all is, like, very hierarchical mm-hmm. and very counter to, like, the entire notions that, like, the original Quakers set out. Yeah, those hidden hierarchies are a problem in any sort of, I think, anarchic, you know, or consensus-based mm-hmm. system where people can just hide behind the idea that, like, oh, look, outwardly we are using a consensus process Therefore, when we say we're all equal, see, it shows in our process, but then they can, like, be used as a veneer to veil all of this actual hierarchy happening. Exactly. And, um, I guess this, that's actually like a kind of a pretty good segue into, like, the stuff specifically happening at Newburgh Friends Church right now, because, like, it's very, like, a lot, a lot of the people, like, a lot of the church elders are kind of, like, on the conservative side of things. And so right now the congregation is splitting. Um, there, It is splitting into the NFC, Newburgh Friends Church. That's going to be the congregation continuing on there, continuing on with the Northwest Yearly Meeting, continuing on with the current um, faith, faith and practice. 
and then there's going to be the NEFC, which is going to be the new congregation. They will be having to start a new church from the ground up, basically. Um, like, the NFC is going to keep the building. NEFC has to get a new building. If they want to have a parsonage for the pastor, like the NFC has, they have to get a parsonage. What is a parsonage? Um a house owned by the church for the head pastor. Oh. Um, Newburgh Friends Church uh, valuations of its assets go anywhere between 3.5 and 5.5 million dollars. The NEFC have been offered basically a severance package of around 200,000. Ouch. And how much how much of the population of the church are we talking is like a pretty it's, even it's split? It's 50-50 split. 50 per, like half of the congregation is leaving and like the NFC is basically using all of this like language about like pacifism and like mm. you know like valuing God over money as kind of this, like, shady way of being, like, don't fight us on this. Yeah. And then the, uh, and then the people leaving are, like, but this is our church. <laughs> we have gone here our entire lives, just like all of you. We have put in our money and ties here, just like all of you. And so that might also come into a legal battle at some point. Yeah, the using pacifism to tell people to not fight things that are going wrong you know that is so common and so shitty you know i'm just saying like you fighting is bad therefore don't fight us as we treat you like shit yeah and like the the evangelical like friends community has such a warped view of pacifism in general they use pacifism to like basically guilt people into doing things. They use pacifism as an excuse for being complicit in racism, sexism, like, homophobia, violence, stemming from those forms of oppression. Um, Like, how? Do you have a specific... I mean, like... Just the general, like, attitude of not fight, just don't fight, just go with the current oppressive system? Like, a lot of... There's a lot of people from my church, if they saw a Nazi beating up, a, like, a person of color in the street, they'd rather call the cops than go and punch that Nazi. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. It's like they want to, they just want to outsource their violence. Exactly, but then the Quakers, they have, like, a moral high ground that goes with it, because that's what God tells them to do. I, I don't think God does that. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think so either. I... <laughs> I was I was one of the kids in my church who was very troublesome because I was actually bringing up like very thoughtful questions of like why why like certain things we believe mean we do things a certain way and like that was like one thing I brought up was like pacifism and like so like what if someone like tries to beat me up on the street like god says I shouldn't be violent so I should just let that happen god doesn't want me to be violent, so I shouldn't stop violence from happening on another person. Yeah. Yeah, just, like, sit and watch. Just, like, let yourself take a beating so that you don't... 
I mean, it's what a privilege to say, like, oh, just let yourself take a beating if you are never going to have to catch one, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, and it's, easy, it's easy to say that if you are never in any danger of being attacked. Yeah. Um, one, I think one of the kind of the best statements I read in kind of this, the whole uh, splitting of the Northwest Yearly Meeting was um, my old pastor from Newburgh Friends Church, Greg Koskella. He resigned uh, as the head pastor there uh, as a result of Newburgh Friends Church um, refusal at large to um, be affirming to um, like gay and queer members, and just like uh, he wrote an open letter, an open resignation letter, um, and specifically acknowledged the violence that um because he used to i've seen him give a give a um a sermon on why uh, the church shouldn't affirm gay marriage back when i was 12 um he acknowledged like the violence inherent in his words when he gave that sermon no so he kind of came around very in a very big way and like I said, um, he was the head pastor there. He was living in the church, owned and paid for by by the church. He had daughters in college. He was li- making a very, very comfortable salary. He gave that up because of his morals. And, like, I don't know, like, that sermon he gave when I was 12, that was, like, a very specifically traumatic experience for me so it was like I don't know very touching to like read his resignation letter um and I don't know I have so many frustrations with like both sides of the split really because like so many of the people arguing for like their rights for like affirmation and recognition within the church have like fallen into like all of the respectability politics arguments that I really dislike and you know so many people saying like I'm not one of them horrible, deviant, slutty queers. I just want to, like, have a nice, regular gay gay marriage. Uh, yeah. And, like, it's still very alienating, like, for me. Like, I'm, like, queer trans woman who is, like, fairly sexually promiscuous. And also, there's still an entire, like, ignorance around trans issues in the conversations happening in the Northwest Yearly Meeting right now. Mm-hmm. There's, in the faith and practices that I've been talking about the entire time, it's just, they're just talking about homosexuality. There's not any sort of language at all in anywhere, faith and practices, bylaws, whatsoever around, like, like gender identity. Just, like, total erasure. Exactly. And, like, I mean... It's progress in its own way because it used to just be a thing that, like, nobody in the church knew about. But now, just because of, like, media and everything, it's, like, it's really hard for people to not know what a transgender person is anymore, (laughs) even if they don't know one themselves. But instead of, you know, now instead of homosexuality being the hot-button issue that the church is ignoring, now it's transgender people. And um, it's still, like, just a very alienating thing for me like I still have people who I feel very fondly about from that community but it's hard 
for me to engage with them. Yeah. Whenever I'm like, I go back home, my parents invite me to go to church with them. And I'm just like, A, being a not cis-passing trans woman going into a church with a, like, fairly conservative population, it's, like, scary enough. But also, like, within the past couple years with, like, all these, like, issues going on within the Northwest Yearly Meeting, it's, like, it, like... It just sends me into a panic attack even thinking about going because it's like, I know walking into that church, I am like a physical embodiment of like everything that's going wrong with the Northwest Yearly Meeting right now. Yeah, that's a lot to hold. And yeah, it's... And it's just so strange too because like, you know, I was, it's not just like I was a member of a church. It's like, I, I mean, I was like, I was like one of the, the, the kids that like all the adults were talking about and stuff. And like, cause you know, I, the adults always, it's like, oh yeah, you're, oh, there was always this weird dynamic around like, you know, who, what, what kids the adults cared about and like, Oh, now I'm just going through all sorts of weird memories of my time in the church, and it's just Mm -hmm. strange. I mean, what I figured out is more or less, like, everyone kind of figured out I was queer before I did, and also, like, I was expressing all of these really out there, like, views about, like, my interpretation of, like, what the Bible meant, and so, like, all the adults were kind of, like, talking about me behind my back, and then I didn't really realize that until I was, like, 16 or whatever, and, like, some, some, I don't know, another one of the congregants, someone I'd never really even talked to, just kind of, like, came up to me and, like, at some point mentioned about, like, how all the adults just kind of thought that I, like, just expressed myself really uniquely and how I was different from all of the other kids. And... At some point, I kind of, like, realized that I was, I don't know, groomed in a way to, like, be one of the people, like, really heavily involved in the Quaker church for, like, a lifetime. As sort of a deterrent for your otherness or whatever? Or, like, why? I... (laughs) I can't really say. I mean, a lot of, of, it's... Because they just really wanted you around? Because you're interesting? Or... I mean, and... I mean, like, anything I say about it, it's just, like, you know, me guessing and based on, like, decades-old memories. But, like, at a certain point, it, it seems like, I guess, yeah, like, there was, it it was kind of an attempt to control, like, the otherness, or, God, I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, it's a group of people, too, so it's probably different, different reactions. In a world that they don't talk about these issues, how do you... 
and that's that's like that's the thing like <laughs> just like the, the, I, it's like i it's like i'm gaslighting myself as i'm talking about it because <laughs> oh. it's like well i really don't know and this is like it's like there's there's so much of everything in the church it's like it's just there's certain things that are never to be talked about yeah it's like um I mean, it's like, so yeah, like, I'm, I, I guess just like, as far as my example, it's like, from a very, from a very, fairly young age, I like, you know, expressed some like gender variance and like the community at large, like tried to clamp down on that. Um, and there was just like, and it's like, everyone kind of knew something was up with me. No one would really talk about it. But everyone knew and knew something had to be done about it. So people are just acting bizarre around you and you have no idea why. And Yeah, but also, like, at the point of, like, treating me different than I see other people in my age group being treated, like... yeah you know, being treated differently than the other, like, boys, in air quotes. Um, Is there, like, groups, do boys go do some things and then girls go do other things? Oh, yeah. Um, there's, my church would have a, like, Wednesday night Bible study for all the kids, and there would be, like, the initial kind of just, like, recreation part of it that was, like, for everyone, and they'd split up into the boys' classes and the girls' classes, and the boys' classes were different than the girls' classes. Um, despite everyone being equal thing. <laughs> and despite their um, gender equality being recognized in the faith and practices, uh, they split the summer camp for elementary school kids into boys' camp and the girls' camp. There, it's mixed gender for the middle and high school summer camps. Um, uh, it's, I mean, there, it's, it's never as like rigidly done as, as like other other like denominations, but there. There is, like, a kind of, like, a learned inherent difference between, like, boys and girls. And, like, there's, like, a very rigid, like, education on what is expected of, like, masculinity and femininity within Mm. the church. Mm. I remember when they, like, usually Sunday school was mixed gender, but there was... I think maybe a month or two back in elementary school where they had a split into like boys and girls and I know I don't know what happened in the girls but in the boys section they pretty pretty much taught us at eight years old that pornography is the devil and that if we masturbated we were going to go to hell and and I quote pornography is the sickest most disgusting thing that I've ever seen well verbatim quote from my Sunday school teacher it stuck with you Oh, yeah. 
I, <laughs> it's like, from a very young age, you are taught that like, sexuality is something to be ashamed of within the church. I mean, that's when you learn what masturbating is. I didn't, I didn't know what that even meant in eight years old. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> so what like... eight-year-old kid knows what the word pornography is? I know, and they're like, okay, so now I have to go look that up. <laughs> it's like, um, I'm sorry, what is sex? Yeah, I know, like, eight years old is pretty, I was just like, that, wait, like, masturbation and pornography is not a thing I would think eight-year-olds even... Yeah, it's like, it's like... Is it, is it, I think I can safely say that I learned to masturbate in Sunday school. Because <laughs> you find out what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and then it's just like, you'll, you'll learn that you can make yourself feel good by touching your genitals. And then it's just not <laughs> like, that oh. far of a walk from there. <laughs> like, oh, can I? Huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, you don't say. <laughs> oh, well, that's just, that's just so interesting. You're talking about this act that they're doing of shaming sexuality and I feel like it's totally inappropriate inappropriately sexual for that age group exactly you know I mean like that's such a that's yeah oh my god it's Oy. yeah it's, it's bizarre and and not just and not just even um you know teaching kids about like the evils of pornography or whatever but like you know we had like entire like Sunday school lessons about some of the like really racy parts of the Bible you know <laughs> and like you know like what? like freaking like what was it like Lot's daughters like getting him oh, drunk yeah, and boning like, him yeah like 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 sort of like raping him yeah all of them in succession it's freaking weird to try and get impregnated by their father yeah right? like sexually assaulting their father in the name of God to keep the line of Adam and Eve going or something. I don't, yeah. Family what? values. <laughs> These like people who don't like to talk about sex are certainly um, obsessed with it a little bit. It, That's so weird. Why would you like, of all the Bible, there's a whole lot of Bible. Like why talk, why concentrate on that one? Especially if you're talking about with like with kids. I don't get it. I don't know. And it's like, also, but also it's like not everyone in the Quaker church is like this, but I, Honestly, but I feel like the people who are, they just need to get, they just need to go to a pro-dom and just, like, work some shit out. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, it's like, it's like, they, they, they just got some, like, they just got some stuff that's repressed and they just, like... Yeah, maybe take that out somewhere else and, like, not to church. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's in, it, it's like, it's a punishment kink. It's straight up a punishment kink. It's like, I am unworthy of God and I am this filthy, horrible creature and I must... And I must receive penance and like, <laughs> it's like, and it's like, you know, it's like, punish me, whatever floats your boat. Just like, <laughs> don't make it, don't make things suck for other people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I remember um, in, like, the the few days before the 2015 yearly meeting, I received, um, I was, like, in correspondence with a few different people from the Northwest yearly meeting, like, um, one of the people I, like, went on my trip to Russia with, actually, and then just, I believe, one of my Sunday school teachers, um, I was actually, like, on, a 
on a plane to Minneapolis to visit a friend at the time, and I was specifically remember thinking how grateful I was to not be anywhere near that debacle, because, like, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And, like, and, like, uh, I talking to, like, my parents and a few other things, like, ultimately, like, what went down was, like, after the election, all the conservative people and the Quaker leadership, they felt, like, super emboldened to, like, push a hard line. And, you know, like, we're not gonna ignore this anymore. We feel emboldened and just, like, these are our faith and practices. We technically own your churches. You either have to fall in line or you can get out, but we'll be nice and we'll let you keep your church and not pay you, make you pay any sort of exit fee. Aren't we so nice? And these are people that have been paying their dues to the churches. Uh huh. Um, but on the flip side, smaller congregations sometimes do need financial support from the Northwest Yearly Meeting. Mm Mm-hmm. So for those congregations, they're then left with the choice of, you know, like, if if their congregants and their, like, church leadership feels like they want to, like, affirm, like, LGBTQ members, they want to affirm, like, the rights of people, of, like, queer people to become pastors, like, they have to choose, like, whether... Because, like, the Northwest Yearly Meeting has specifically said all churches retain ownership of their property, assets, and indebtedness. So any church with debt that is receiving support for that debt through the Northwest Union meeting, they have to choose whether they possibly, like, go under, or whether they, like, treat their congregants with, like, the love that they feel is, like, called for in the Bible. That's so gross. <laughs> the strong-arm people using, like, financial economic sanctions into hate. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think... I think it's all, like, that's also just, like, one of the really interesting parts about the Hayden Friends church scenario is that, like, for all of the churches who want to affirm, like gay and queer people within the church, it's like they're basically doing everything they can to encourage those churches to leave. But with Hayden Friends Church, a church that, once again, for 40 years, in defiance of the Northwest Yearly Meeting, faith and practices, has not allowed women to be pastors. Even the leader of their women's ministry, who's been in that position for over a decade, was never allowed to be called a pastor. Hmm. Um, and they, like, tried really hard to keep them. Yeah, they're, like, they're making it as difficult as possible for them to leave. They still manage to leave, though, because they literally can, like, hire lawyers to, like... If, if you look at, like, Hayden Friend Church's correspondence with the Northwest Yearly Meeting... There's so much, like, legalese in the letters. It's like, there was at least a lawyer, like, working with them on writing all of that. Yeah. And, I don't know, it's just... Uh, 
the more like preparing for this interview and like trying to like get the all the latest like gossip on all of this like the more and more and more I read on it and like all the more and more and more context I get I honestly just get more and more and more just mind boggled and it's just like because I don't know all of these things I was taught as truths as like a kid are like just entirely like getting exposed as just like complete shams now yeah and it's like what I've learned ultimately the Northwest meeting first and foremost cares about what keeping a status quo of how things have operated for the past 50 100 years within the church more or less like keeping a faith in practices exactly the way it's been for mm-hmm. like most of the meetings like history and then what else money 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 why like what on earth is the purpose of the Northwest Yearly Meeting, putting in their bylaws that all member churches surrender their property real to the Northwest Yearly Meeting, unless it is to gain financial leverage over the church. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, and then, like, once again, Newburgh Friends Church, worth anywhere from 3.5 to 5.5 million dollars with all of its assets. And that's just one church. Hayden Lake Friends Church, over a million dollars in assets. That's just one church. How many churches are there in Northwest Yearly Meeting? Uh, hundreds. Hundreds of churches. That's a lot of money. And like I said, they have missionaries not like other churches that they are like affiliated with in these countries, but missionaries who they fund in Russia in several countries in Africa, Central South America, Southeast Asia, they, they, like, they have several retreat properties around Oregon, Washington, Idaho. They have, like, literally a fleet of vehicles. Yeah, Quakers have a lot of money. Quakers are known, actually, for being good capitalists. Oh, yeah. Which is gross and but true there's a fair amount of like quaker financial influence going into like politics as well um darlene ortega who is a oregon state judge she is a member of um northwest or excuse me north valley friends church in newburgh oregon i have met her a couple times she's actually like fairly wonderful like involved with like the youth there um she's actually been like she um she's been involved with um pushing for acceptance of lgbtq um students and faculty at george fox university she's an alumnus cool um but there's like yeah there's a few different Quakers involved in, like, political office and, like, in, like, 
prestigious lawyer firm or like law firms um in in my hometown there is uh a nonprofit that has been involved with like the local government a fair bit there's like a few different Quaker nonprofits that have their hands in local governments once again this is something that is not talked about a lot in general Quaker circles. It's another thing that's kept within, like, those specific groups. Like, being in politics is dirty? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. There's really some, like, House of Cards aspects of, like, the Northwest Yearly Meeting, and it's really just strange. Yeah, Quakers have this really... The um, history of Quakers and capitalism is a tight knit one. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the biggest banks in the world right now started as Quaker banks. Barclays is mm-hmm. a is a Quaker was a Quaker institution. Um, a few others. I read. I was looking up Quaker capitalism, and I read an article in like the I don't remember Wall Street Journal or something about how capitalists should really look at the Quaker model and see to be better capitalists. And um, it's. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of money in Quakers. Mm-hmm. Like, they were very good at... I guess originally Quakers did so well because of their honesty, and they were sort of, back in the 1600s, seen as sort of the um, community credit union of their day. Oh, yeah. Like, they weren't going to fuck you over. So they did really well as people who handled money because they were trustworthy, and they would give fair market price to their goods. Exactly. And, you know, and so that was actually sort of, if you're having to deal within a new capitalist system, having people like Quakers who are honest around mm. to help you manage that was a good thing. Yeah, you can but, you yeah. can send your kids to their store and expect for the kids to get the goods for the same price that the adults would pay instead of, like, being charged more because they're kids and don't know any better. Right, exactly. Uh, Quaker Oats was actually, like, not founded by a Quaker, did not have any Quakers involved at all with, like, the founding of that company, they just wanted a nice, wholesome mascot for their nice, wholesome oats. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And so, but, you know, over time, money corrupts. Exactly. And Quakers got really corrupt. Oh, uh, exactly. A, a, lot of, a lot of it, you know. And because then they were so successful, the success came, and then all of a sudden, you've got the Quaker candies... What is that? What is that? Uh, it's not Hershey's or Cadbury. Oh, Cadbury, yeah. It's Cadbury? Yeah, I yeah, believe yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like starts as like a nice chocolate company, and then all of a sudden it's this like huge capitalist enterprise. Oh, yeah. And like, so you, you know, so the corruptive power of money has been really affecting Quakers for centuries. Mm-hmm. So it's not really that surprising to hear about this like continuing strain of like corruptive capitalist influence within the Quaker churches today. Yeah. You know? And. The money aspect and, like, the financial aspect of the, like, schism of the Northwest Yearly Meeting is always what I'm going to find the most fascinating. And, like, I'm... This is just, like, completely, like, my suspicions, but I'm going to guess that there's... The Northwest Yearly Meeting, their leadership is paying very close attention to what is happening with the split at Newburgh Friends Church right now. Because if Newburgh Friends Church has to straight up lose half of its assets... That's the biggest contributing church to the Northwest Yearly Meeting financially. Mm. Like, if the Northwest Yearly Meeting, like, if they have to lose all, like, all the assets from every single church that is just outright leaving, 
plus half of the assets of every single church that splits, like, how are they going to fund all of those missionaries and all of those different... How are they going to... This is so gross. How are they going to pay all the property taxes for all their retreat complexes? Like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm... Which is creating a financial incentive to be more hateful towards queer people. And to rob their own congregants. Yeah. And, like, my my parents are part of the group that's leaving Newburgh Friends Church. Oh, and, like, they've made it very clear that, like, although that, like, they have very strong, like differences of opinion with the Northwest Northwest Yearly Meeting, like, they don't want to see, like, a financial, like, deficit happen for, like, the missionaries or whatever, and so, like, they're still tithing to the church, even though they disagree with the church. It's... So crazy. Money is awful. Money is so awful. It's... Yeah. Jeez. Yeah... Oh, my goodness. George Fox is just, like, turning over in his grave. <laughs> I know. That's the funny thing about talking about evangelical... The idea of an evangelical Quaker. When I look back at, like, where Quakers came from and, like, what drew me to Quaker practice and reading George Fox's journals, you know, mm-hmm. and the idea of evangelical Quaker... Like doesn't even make sense to me. It's like the basic tenets were not evangelizing was one of the like George Fox's basic tenets. Well, no, that's not true. They evangel they did evangelize, but I mean, for, as, for what I understand is like at least now the culture in the friends meeting is to not evangelize. Um, in the at, at least not in the not in the Quaker Church, but in the friends meeting. In yeah, in the in the in yeah. uh... Where did that come from? That came from George Fox in some way, didn't it? The idea that... Um, I guess they, they went around the countryside talking to people, though. It's... The initial idea of, like, Quaker evangelism, it wasn't... It was more an idea of sharing God's light rather than, like, trying to convert people. Right, okay, it's, that's It's trying to, trying to live out the example of, like... It's, um... You'll hear Quakers refer to it a lot as, um living a Christ life, Christ-like life. Right. Um, like, um, it was the idea of, you know, like, living in God's light and, like, living the example of Jesus Christ and, like, have that be your way of evangelizing, like, a very, like, passive form of evangelism rather than, like, actively, like, pushing the gospel onto people. It's so funny to think of, like, the calm passive like the passivity versus pacifism but like passivity and pacifism Mm -hmm. together when you Mm -hmm. go back and read george fox's journals and like i look at those stuff he is so fiery he Mm. is so like angry he gets up in people's faces all the time just like jesus did you know what i mean like jesus was not passive or like you know like walking around really calmly like he talked back all the time like he was you know what i mean like so where did that come from? This, like, have to be, like... They were... Yeah, no, there was there was nothing passive about the early Quakers. They were, like... They're, the, prison, the prison justice they were doing, some of it involved, like, you know, like, visiting prisoners who were, like, being held in, like, the most unimaginable conditions, like, basically in a hole on the side of a, 
like on the side of a cliff like some equivalent of that and like bringing food and like like clothing up to them when like they could have like been jailed in those conditions themselves for helping out those prisoners Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and now you know like even just like going to a protest is too much for a lot of these people because like Either it might become violent and, like, that is abhorrent to their sensibilities or they just can't be bothered. Hmm. When it becomes... It seems for me, like, Quaker Church versus at least the Friends meeting... They couldn't be more... It's, like, not political. It's, like, they couldn't... Yeah, they're very different. They couldn't be more, like, diametrically opposed. You know, how... I don't know. It's just so weird to me to think of Quaker Church being called Quakers, when it seems like they're basically just, like, any other evangelist Protestant. I mean, what's the... What is the connection there? Do you have silent worship at all, or...? Um, yes. They're... Uh... At at Newburgh Friends Church, like, when I was going, it was, um... In an hour... In an hour-long service, there be about 10 or 15 minutes of like silent worship usually um north valley friends church in newburgh they have two planned worship sessions that also have uh, a portion of unprogrammed worship and then they also have a, a completely unprogrammed meeting okay. as well okay so they do quakery things they do quakery things um yeah yeah, they, t- they teach us about the early Quakers, and they teach us about pacifism, and, uh, uh, yeah, kind of, like, the the purpose and of, like, open worship, and kind of, like, the, the reasons, like, why it was, like, such an important part of, like, the early Quaker church. Well, I guess we're at an hour. Is there anything you'd like to else that we haven't touched on? Um, I think we've pretty much hit all the bases. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I kind of want to wrap this up by saying if anyone from the Northwest Dealing Meeting ends up, like, coming across this, like... No judgments made against any individuals. Like, I've met, like, in my time there, like, a lot of the people in the, like, Northwest Healing Meeting, regardless of their political affiliations or whatever, like, they really are genuinely, like, trying to live what they believe to be Christ's example in their life. And I think there is, like, a certain genuine quality to, like, the faith like, in the Quaker church that I haven't necessarily seen in other denominations. Mm. Of course, I'm a bit biased there. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, so, like, this is definitely not supposed to be a personal attack on any members of the Northwest Yearly Meeting, but at the same time, it's like, I think the Northwest Yearly Meeting and whatever meeting comes out of this schism is going to need to, like, put in a lot of self-reflection to, like, how they got here in the first place. Because 
it's going to happen again otherwise. Yeah. If, honestly, if either groups make it through the next five years, which I'm kind of doubtful about, hmm. it'll be fun to see what happens. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for being on. This was great. Very interesting conversation. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. So I was listening to this episode and editing it, and I love this episode, but I realized that the sound quality is not great, and my handy-dandy, trusty-rusty H1 Zoom recorder is starting to have some problems. Since the podcast is going so well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I think it's time for an upgrade. So it looks like I'm going to keep on doing this. And uh, I want it to not sound like shit. So I've started a GoFundMe campaign. It's GoFundMe.com slash friendly-anarchism-upgrade to try and raise some money so I can buy some better equipment. Um, And I also started making some swag. So I have a Teespring um, store, teespring.com slash stores slash friendly-anarchism. Got some t-shirts and cups and stickers and stuff, so check that out. And uh, hopefully I can make this podcast uh, have some real quality to it. And so, yeah, um, thank you so much for listening. All right, bye.